0: Hey guys, it's Derek. We're back on the podcast, and this week we're very excited. We have our second guest on the show, and not only is she a great friend, but she is a phenomenal athlete. This week we're sitting down with Annie Laser. Annie is a world champion in the 200 meter breaststroke, and she is also a member of the USA Swimming National Team. Um, She's a phenomenal individual, phenomenal athlete, and we are so excited to have her on the show. Annie and I sit down and we discuss all things swimming. We talk about her initial start of swimming way back when she was just a little kid, we go into details of when she had that aha moment or that epiphany of, hey, I can do this at the collegiate level, and then there could potentially be career opportunities after that, and we really dive into the mindset behind the entire journey and where her head was at, what kept her going day in and day out, and and what keeps her going now and how that has changed over the years. So we're incredibly excited to have her on the show We cover a lot of topics that I think are going to provide everyone with some valuable information and some insight. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. All right, everybody, we're back on Ballistic Performance Radio. This is episode 17, and we are here with none other than Annie Laser. Annie is a world champ in the 200-meter breaststroke and also a USA Swimming National Team member. Annie, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on.
1: Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Okay, so Annie, usually when we get into this, I have everybody give a quick spiel of who they are, what they do, and why they do it. So go ahead and uh, take it away.
1: I love it. It's quick and straight to the point. So yeah, um, I'm Annie Laser. I you, I mean, you summarized it pretty well. Um, I'm a USA Swimming national team member. I've been on the national team for um, about four years now. Um, I yes, so I'm a competitive professional swimmer. Um, Last year, I had probably one of the better years of my career. Um, I ended up the um, swimming fiscal year being second in the world in the 200 breaststroke and third in the world in the 100 breaststroke. Um, I'm currently training at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, I'm 25 years old, and why I do it is because I'm super competitive. Um, I really like to just kind of push myself to the limits, and I just want to see how far I can take myself in this sport. Um, obviously, goals are amazing, but I just want to be able to you know, tell myself by the time I retired that I did everything I could do to be as great as I could be. So, yeah, that's really why I do it.
0: Awesome. I loved it all. Um, well, first, congratulations on what do you want to call it a breakout year or just your best year of performance? Yeah, well?
1: it kind of was a breakthrough year. Um, you know, I was pretty good nationally before last year. You know, I'd made the national team a couple times, but um, I think I really more so broke out onto the international scene last year. Um, you know, had was had a great performance um, at the Short Course World Championships in December of 2018, um, a little over a year ago, where I won the tuner breaststroke there, um, which was pretty unexpected, I guess you could say, both from other people and I I truly didn't really expect myself to really win that. And that's kind of really was the start of my career kind of taking off. We went into, um, for those of you who don't know, swimming, um, Olympic swimming is a 50 meter pool instead of the short course pool, which is a 25 meter pool. So once we went, we got into the long course competitions, from January on through the end of the summer, that's really when my career took off. And um, I started swimming some really respectable times um, that were putting me towards the top of the world in the Olympic course pool. So, um, you know, yeah, it was really a breakthrough year for me and beyond anything I could have even ever expected at this point. So I'm really excited just to see, you know, where we can where we can go from here.
0: Awesome. That's uh, well, obviously, we have a backstory and we'll get into that. But Uh, I love seeing that last year and seeing you had that breakout year and, uh, we'll get into how, you know, that obviously wasn't an overnight success and that there was a lot of work that went into it prior.
1: Oh God. Yeah. Uh,
0: but why don't we go all the way back and tell me a little bit about, you know, when, when did you start swimming? How old were you? And, uh, what was the reason you started swimming? Did your parents just put you into it? Were you (laughs) super competitive and just knew that was the route to go? Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so um I started swimming. Uh, I joined my local uh summer club swim team when I was five years old. Um it was right across the street from my neighborhood. Um I watched my older brother, who's two years older than me, do that for two years. I wasn't allowed to join till I was five years old, but I was still dragged to his swim meets for two years. Um always really wanted to go. I always loved the water. Um, neither of my parents swam, so it was kind of like a new a new thing for my family, really. Um, so I don't really have any background family-wise in swimming. Um, it was just kind of convenient. It was a great thing to do during the summer and keep us busy. So, uh, yeah, my parents my parents threw me in the pool when I was five, and I, I loved it. And also, I was super competitive. They saw me kind of play soccer a little bit when I was younger, and all I wanted to do was just keep the ball and score. And, um, you know, so they're like, okay, let's have her do something that's a little more like in Individuals, so (laughs) they put me in swimming and um I was you know I was I was good growing up um and yeah I kind of started just because I was around it for so long and I I just loved the water and I loved summertime so that was kind of when I started and why I started
0: so you just said you love summertime did you swim outside a lot when you were growing up
1: yeah um so I mean yes and no um obviously I'm, I'm from, so I'm from Michigan. Um, so not a whole lot of outside swimming in Michigan growing up, but, um, when I really only swam for my summer club team, when I was from, maybe I didn't, I don't think I joined year round swimming until I was maybe eight or nine years old. So, um, until then I really only swam outside. So I did that from like May to August or so. Um, and then I kind of, Yeah. Yeah, basically. (laughs) God. Um, Basically. So um, moving past that, um, I started to swim more indoors um, when I wanted to swim year round and not just make it like a summer thing.
0: Cool. And when did you because obviously you somewhat fell in love with it and kept going. When did you come to the realization that you wanted to do this in college and take it to, you know, obviously that level behind high school where it starts to become significantly more time consuming and more serious?
1: Yeah, so um, so I really solely started to focus on swimming um, when I was a little bit later, actually. I want to say like 15 or so is when I stopped playing every other sport. Um, I played soccer. Um, soccer was my first sport, and it was the sport that I played all the way up till May. I was in high school, so when I was about 14, uh, I played a little bit of water polo in high school. Um, but then I kind of had a really big breakthrough year. Um, in my high school swimming career, um, my sophomore year of high school, um, I went to junior nationals and, um, placed top three in a few events, which was totally unexpected. It was my first junior nationals ever, um, placed top three in a couple events, was invited onto a junior national team trip, um, to Europe. And so I was about to, when I was done with that swim meet, I was about to go home and like start water polo season and not swim. I mean, I would still be in the pool of course, but not really like competitively train and swim for like three months and so mm-hmm. when I made this junior national team trip it was like maybe six weeks after that like in the middle of water polo season and my coaches were like if you think you're swimming water polo this year you're insane yeah. <laughs> so I was like ah that's fair I'd rather go to Europe than stay here in Michigan and play water polo oh, <laughs> so yeah. yeah so so that kind of made the decision for me but I'm kind of glad that um I'm really glad that my parents never really pushed me to make a decision. You know, um, they really let me arrive at that decision on my own when I kind of decided like, oh my gosh, I'm going to soccer practice twice a week and playing two soccer games on the weekends. And I got to swim, you know, at least six times a week. Like this is just this, they, they let me arrive at that decision on my own. They were super supportive of me doing anything that kept me active, anything that kept me busy. As long as, you know, my school didn't falter, which I think my hard work transferred both in, in all aspects of my life, not just athletics. So, um, they were super supportive of that. And, um, I think that was also kind of the time when I, you know, made this junior team trip where I was like, Oh, like maybe I, if I'm one of the best kids in high school, maybe I, maybe I can swim in college, you know? So then it it became a, a new goal of mine. The next, it kind of opened up a whole new perspective for me, um, you know, in the swimming world, not just in my little, you know, cause I was really good in the state of Michigan. Um, I, I kind of always was, um, but it really opened up my eyes to like, Oh my gosh, there's people out there that are like a lot better than me. And so, you know, it, it really opened my eyes to like what was possible. And, um, you know, just working hard and getting there. Um, it really would have provided me with a lot more college opportunities, you know? So, so that was really my first, my first, uh, thought of being like, Oh wow. Like maybe I can go swim in college. Like maybe I can do that. So that became a goal of mine for the next couple of years was just work really hard and, and be able to go to whatever school really I wanted to go to.
0: That's awesome. I love that. Uh, Go back into what you're saying. I love that your parents didn't force you into a decision. I think that's huge, especially nowadays where everyone's specializing super, super oh my early. Gosh, yes, no. and I feel like a lot of that specialization is coming from you know parents' um, previous experiences and maybe the sports mm-hmm. they played and or what mm-hmm. they desire for their kids to do. And now you know kids aren't even experiencing more than one sport from the time they're five to oh, twenty-two. No.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I, I, and I definitely think that, that, um, something that was to my advantage was I mean, some people genetically, like their parents are Olympians in swimming, so they start swimming and then they become an Olympian. And it's like, OK, well, obviously, you know, you got to work really, really hard to be an Olympian. But they kind of they kind of had that path set for them when they were really young. And my parents, my parents don't even touch a pool, so they didn't know anything about swimming when I first started. And honestly, I think that was really great. Um, you know, they kind of let me learn it on my own. They let me talk about it when I wanted to talk about it. So my life wasn't totally engulfed in swimming. You know what I mean? I think that was really great. And I think, um, they didn't pressure me to really pick a sport or to choose swimming or anything else. Also, because my brothers were also playing three different sports and my younger brother swam, but my older brother stopped when he was pretty young, like 12 or so. So, you know, they never really, you know, they weren't really thinking like oh she has to keep swimming and she has to get a college scholarship they're just doing it wanted me to do it cuz i kept wanting to do it you know so i think that that was a huge benefit for me um, just when I was younger, not getting burnt out by the sport because the sport is super easy to get burnt out by. I mean, you're staring at a black pool, a black line at the bottom of a pool for now, for me, four hours a day, which is a lot. So you got to really want it in order to keep going in the sport.
0: Absolutely. Holy cow. Four hours of swimming a day. I can't even swim 40 yards. You're swimming <laughs> for four hours. Anyway, enough about uh, me and embarrassing myself in the pool. So you got that inclination that you could probably do this at the collegiate level. And then you worked hard enough to where you could go to the school of your choice, or at least that was the idea. And then tell us a little bit about schools you looked at where you ended up going and uh, why you ended up going there and sort of that entire experience of collegiate swimming.
1: Yeah. So, um, so this was maybe one of the not so great things about having parents that just were not immersed in the swimming world whatsoever was college recruiting a little bit. Um, we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, we didn't really get that much help. Um, I didn't have an amazing relationship with my, with my college, with my, um, high school club coach growing up. Um, so he didn't really help me too much, which I now realize like a lot of club coaches help their kids when they're picking a school. Um, so that was kind of one of the down parts of my parents, not really knowing that much about swimming. Um, so when I, um, was choosing between schools, um, my specialty is breaststroke, and I was a I was one of the better breaststrokers in the country. Um, but it's really because breaststroke is such a niche um, stroke. You basically do that stroke, or you do all three other strokes. There's no real. There's not a whole lot of in between. Um, so it's really just based on um, you know, college coaches look at their strengths and weaknesses, and if that's what they need, if they've got only juniors and seniors that are strong in breaststroke events, they're like, okay, that's what we're recruiting next year. You know, so. Um, so that being said, um, I took recruiting trips to um, Virgin- University of Virginia, who were the ACC champions, um, uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, who were second in the ACC, um, Auburn, who was winning the SEC at the time, and Ohio State, which was kind of more of like an up and coming program. Um, but my brother went there and I really liked the coach. Um, so I ended up going to Ohio State my freshman year. And um, again, that being said, like my parents and I didn't really know a whole lot about you know college swimming at the time, so we we didn't really know um, the kind of caliber of um, of swimming that I'd be getting into there. And not to discredit that program, it's a great program now, and the coach was kind of still getting it to be his own program. But I'd kind of realized just with the team culture there at the time, you know, again, this was like eight years ago, but it wasn't really the program that I wanted it to be. Um, so that being said, and even my senior year of high school after I'd already committed to Ohio State, I improved exponentially. Um I had a really big year my senior year after I'd committed to Ohio State. So that being said, that could have really broadened my options even more. Um, so I decided to transfer after my freshman year and Auburn reached back out to me again and they're like, We still really, you know, we still really want you. We still would love for you to take a trip here again. Like we we, we really want you to get down here and just give us a chance. And so I said, okay. Um, so I took just two trips and, um, just kind of decided that Auburn was the place for me. Um, so I ended up going there. Um, I had a really great experience there. Um, I loved my time at Auburn. Um, just historically, they're one of the best swimming programs in the country, which was so cool to swim for them. Um, you know, I improved a lot there. Um, I was pretty good. Um, I, I received, um, all American accolades a few times during my time there. Um, I was always really good though. I wasn't great. Um, so, you know, and we'll we'll get into this later on, but that made my my choice to go professional in the sport that much more uh, terrifying. You know what I mean? Because I didn't really know what my future would be in the sport. Um, so, but 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 that being said, um, you know, I think it was the right school for me. Um, I had a great experience there, and um, now it's my now it's my team that I cheer for all the time. So <laughs> so yeah. So that's that's pretty much how I got to Auburn.
0: Cool. And then when you got to Auburn, were you? As a high school kid coming into that program, were you shocked by, well, I guess you were a a sophomore, but were you shocked by the difference in training and the competition and just like the student athlete life there versus Ohio State and then obviously versus high school?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, so it was definitely different from, um, Ohio State in the aspect of which it was deaf and, and club swimming, honestly, um, again i thought i knew a lot about swimming but because i didn't really have a huge background in it i i realized when i got to auburn i didn't know as much as i thought i did um so that being said um, when i got to auburn i realized how much more um how much more fun swimming gets when you're able to really specialize in your events. So by the time I got to Auburn, I really only had to focus on like three events. So that was really nice um, moving forward because especially during um, club swimming, my coach would just make me train everything just to train everything. And, you know, that was like, that was tough sometimes because, you know, you're doing a lot of stuff that you're not very good at. And sometimes you wonder, it's, it kind of like sometimes makes you wonder like, you know, like, why am I doing this? Like, I don't even swim backstroke. Why am I doing 2000 yards worth of backstroke today? Like, I'm never going to swim this, like, you know, whatever. So that being said, like when I got to Auburn, it was much more specialized. It was much more, um, you know, me doing things that I could see were going to directly correlate to, you know, my racing, which was really exciting for me because, you know, I like to say in swimming that there's pacers and there's racers. And while I think I'm a really good trainer in practice, I'm a racer. So I really love getting up and racing drives me way more than, you know, going to practice does. And even going to practice, thinking about racing drives me in practice. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what I like to say. Um, you know, as far as the student athlete life, um, I feel like swimming in high school and waking up at, you know, 445 in the morning when I started to do doubles in high school, when I started to specialize in swimming more, um, you know, in the mornings I was swimming from, you know, 515 to 645 or so. So going to, you know, and then going to class from 730 to 245 and then jumping back in the pool again from 430 to 7, you know is I I went to college and I was like wow like I only have to go to class for 2 hours today like <laughs> this is easy you know I can do this so I really think you know just getting through the the determination of wanting to get that college scholarship and reach my goals academically and athletically in high school really really set me up for success in college specifically because then when I got to college Oh my gosh. I just felt like I could one focus a lot more on swimming when I, cause I wasn't in school for seven hours a day. Of course, you know, you still have to study more, you know, in college than you do in high school. But I just felt like I, I had so much more time to organize what I wanted to get done every day. Whereas in high school, I had no choice, but to literally block my schedule, like minute by minute, pretty much in order to get all my schoolwork done, train, get at least six hours of sleep, which is still really isn't even that much, given how much training I was doing, um, you know, getting food, you know, whatever. So when I got to being a student athlete at Auburn, you know, it was obviously an extremely grueling schedule, but, um, you know, in the end, I think, you know, putting myself in that position during high school really set me up for the success that I had in college.
0: Yeah, of course. I, I completely agree. Even though I wasn't a student athlete, I had the same experience of holy shit, like this is so easy. I only have yeah. two classes a day. Like I had <laughs> so much time for activities.
1: Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I can go home after my nine AM class and actually take a nap. Like this is crazy.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I was the same way. Um now, when as you started to close in on the end of your collegiate career at Auburn, what where was your head at in terms of were you thinking Olympics back then? Were you thinking just moving on and retiring from the sport, or or what, what happened after Auburn?
1: Yeah, so. Um... So kind of conveniently after my career ended at Auburn, um, uh, just a couple months after that was the 2016 U S Olympic trials for swimming. So um, I'd had a pretty good junior and senior year at Auburn um, the summer between my junior and senior year. um, So just, you know, eight months before that I made my first U S swimming national team. Um, I received my first international, um, medal for swimming at the Pan American games. Um, so I'd had a really good Olympic season, um, the summer before that. So I thought, you know, well, I'm on the national team. That means I'm top six in the country. Like if I'm top six in the country, you know, you go, you got, you have to get first and second to go to the Olympics. So I felt like I had a decent shot to go to the Olympics. So that being said, um, I had about three months in between um, my NCAA career and U S Olympic trials. So I decided to just keep training for those three months and just kind of, you know, see where, see where it took me, you know Um, obviously um, being on the national team, I, I thought I had a good shot and um, so I just kept kind of training through that summer and just was kind of like, all right, let's see how this goes. I think I can make the team. Um, but I, I didn't I I I obviously really wanted to make the team and it was devastating when I didn't. Um, but you know, that was kind of my transition from college to pro swimming. Um, but then when I didn't make the team, um professional swimming wasn't really at the same level even then three to four years ago that it is now. So um, I didn't make the team and I I was kind of like, all right, well, that's, that's it, I guess, you know, there's, there's nothing really else for me to do in swimming. And, you know, I have one more class and an internship left before I graduate from Auburn. So I, I I guess I'll just do those and then see where life takes me. So that's, that's kind of what I did. So yeah, that was kind of the end ish of my career collegiately.
0: Okay, and then so I have to ask number 1, what happened at trials?
1: Yeah. So, I wouldn't say really what happened at trials. It's kind of what happened before trials. Um so in the weeks after um the NCAA National Championships, um my the the only coach I'd really been training with for about 2 two years or so at Auburn. Um, he took a head coaching job somewhere else, um, at university of Pittsburgh. So he took a job, um, across the country, um, about nine weeks before I was trying to make the Olympic team. Mm. The only guy that I had been training with for two and a half years. So, um, I was crushed, you know, I, I was just super crushed emotionally and mentally. Um, you know, I, I had never really had a super tight, close relationship with a coach until I really had him. Um, so not only for the physical aspect of things of just training with him day in and day out and doing his workouts day in and day out, but just like he was really the guy that I wanted behind me. Um, when I was hoping to make the Olympic team. Um, and honestly, mentally, I don't really think I ever got out of that. Um, I just was so heartbroken when that happened. And I really just kind of, I don't want to say threw myself a pity party, but like I kind of did a little bit. I was like, all right, well, you know, I don't see why, you know, it's really worth it. Like I'm already in this position, so I'm already going to go. But like, you know, what the heck am I supposed to do? You know, like, am I supposed to move to Pittsburgh? Am I supposed to stay here with coaches that I, that I know, but I honestly haven't trained with at all for the last two years? do I go somewhere else? What do I do? You know? So, um, that being said, um, some of the Auburn alumni kind of reached out to me. Um, it's a really, it's a really tight knit community. Um, and they were like, Hey, we really want to help you. We realize, you know, you're kind of in a compromising situation right now. Um, the, um, head coach for the women's Olympic team, um, had a nice pro group going in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he, one was an Auburn grad and swam at Auburn and two coached at Auburn for like 20 years when they were winning national championships left and right. So they're like, we're going to send you out to him. We're going to help you get there and train with him. So I did that and it was great, but, um, you know, I, I was only there for two months. So, you know, I, I it, it was not enough time for me to acclimate to the training, acclimate to the place I was living and make the Olympic team, you right. know. So I just kind of felt like in the months leading up to the Olympics, um, everything kind of went wrong. And, um, y- you know, there's so many things that can happen around you and your surroundings, but it's ultimately what I learned from that. It's how you react from it you know, so I just, I didn't react the way that I should have. I didn't trust myself and my training and my hard work as much as I should have. So, you know, that being said, um, obviously I didn't make the Olympic team. Um, and I kind of felt like swimming had betrayed me a little bit. So decided to step away from the sport from there and, you know, just go do something else with my life. Cause I just, I really needed to at that point in time.
0: Yeah. Just sounds like a mental thrashing. Oh, just was terrible. Complete mental defeat leading yeah, into oh, the, the biggest meat of your life.
1: It was. I was just like, okay, well, now what? You know, yeah. I just, I didn't know. I had no clue. I was so lost. And yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty devastating for me at the time.
0: But like you said, probably a huge learning experience looking back now, like retrospect, retrospect. Oh
1: my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. So it's funny. Cause like, um, in September, I have two main coaches now that coach me. Um, one is the breaststroke coach that I have and one is like pr- pretty much my other like basic aerobic training coach. And um, that coach, the latter of that, he left in September. And so everyone was really down and he, cause he'd been there for like 15 years. So he was, everyone was really down about it. A lot of kids had moved to train there with him. And honestly, like, I was really sad about it because I care about him as a person. But I was like, I'm okay. Like, I'm really okay. Like, I did this nine weeks before Olympic trials. Like, this is nine months. Like, I am fine. And like, I knew it wasn't about his training specifically, it was about me you know, so I just feel like this time that had prepared me for this, I feel like and and now I'm in a position where, you know, I obviously really care about him, not only as a coach, but as a person. So that that aspect of it was hard. But I trust myself so much more in moving forward from that.
0: Yeah, because you're, you're the one putting in the work, you have the mindset behind it. And I mean, all of it's being generated out of your determination and willpower and, and just focus. So even right. though that individual is no longer there, it's really what you're putting into it that's going to generate the results you want. Like those Absolutely. those guys are just facilitators of right. the work you're putting in.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, coaches are great. They're they're great for the mental aspect of things. You know, a lot of them, you know, especially my coach that was my coach at Auburn and as a pit, they've been, a lot of them have been at the highest level of swimming too. Um, so they know what it's like. They've seen it firsthand. They've been in your shoes. And you know, they're obviously wise beyond your years, they have a perspective that you really don't. And that's great. But you're the one in the pool doing the work. And that's kind of what it taught me, ultimately.
0: Yeah, awesome. Now, this is where we get into the good stuff. Because what happened? And where we we met. So after you stepped back, you took what was it a year off?
1: Yeah, a year. Yeah, a whole year.
0: So it took a whole year off. And then how did you end up in Pittsburgh? And then we'll get into how we met and all of our training and, and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. So, um, so I, um, took a year off. I graduated from Auburn. I took a job in operations, um, in athletics at the university of California, Berkeley, um, just kind of decided I wanted to get my feet wet in that, you know, area. And I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I was still able to be about around sports, which was awesome. Um, but you know, I kind of, um, I ran into, um, a girl, when I was back home for, I believe it was Christmas. It was right before I was about to move out to California. And I had been retired for about six months now. And uh, we were talking and kind of talking about, you know, my experience that year at trials and stuff like that. And, and she said, she kind of asked like, you're not done, are you? And I was like, well, I haven't swum since then. So like, yeah, kind of. And she was like, we we were just kind of, we were, we were hashing it out. And, and ultimately she had said, you know, just give it a year. To give it a year of no swimming, and if there's any part of you that wants to come back to it, you should. Absolutely. Because if there's any part of your mind that's thinking about it, you should just do it without any hesitation. And I was like, okay, well, I'm about to start this really great, awesome job out in California. It's so, like I don't really know how much I'm going to miss swimming, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. So um I went through the next six or seven months or so in california i loved it um i really found you know things that i enjoyed to do i enjoyed doing outside of swimming um i ended up getting um i ended up getting a promotion um about around the year mark of being done swimming and so um i was kind of like okay like if i take this new job this these new responsibilities and this promotion that's kind of it. Like I'm done. Like I can't, this swimming has got to be done. You know, it can't be something that's in my mind anymore. And so that in itself, I kind of thought about it. And I, I kind of thought like, if I'm even thinking about this decision, then I've kind of already made my, my decision. You know, if I'm even thinking about it at all, that kind of means that I should, that I should go back to swimming And I mean, it was just like, it was petrifying because I literally had touched a pool maybe five times in the whole year. So you know, swimming, you have to be incredibly aerobically fit and just the feel of the water and, you know, there's just so many different elements. So to not be in the water for, it's not really like riding a bike. It's its not. Like you got to get, it takes a long time to get back to where you were as I experienced. But, um, but yeah, so I, I decided to get back to it. Um, and really the the only person that I could really think of that I wanted to, you know, kind of work with was my old coach from Auburn. So I I had kind of already talked to him a little bit about how I was feeling and you know he's not just a mentor for me in swimming, he's really a mentor for me in life as well. Um, so you know I talked to him about it a little bit and he kind of said the same thing and he said, you know, if this is what you decide to do and this is where you want to be, like we will make it work. Like just don't worry about it. We'll, you just come here and we'll make it work. I was like, oh, okay, like, I don't really think you know what you're getting yourself into, but like, okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I got there, um, was super out of shape, uh, that summer, that, that July, August, September range was really, really rough. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got to Pittsburgh and that's kind of how I met you.
0: Yeah. Well, before we get into how we met and, and that dynamic, when, when you decided to make that pull the trigger and make that move, you know, did you, what was your intentions or what was your driving factor? Like what was your why as to, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pursue this for X amount of years or X amount of time. You know, what was that driving force?
1: Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure if I had the same driving force then that I have now, Um, I've had, I've had the same driving force in the sport of swimming for a really long time, but I think my driving force when I initially really made that conscious decision to start swimming again after a year of being retired was that I knew that if I looked back five or 10 years down the road and I hadn't made that decision, how much would I either regret it or say, what if, or just wonder what could have been. You know, that was really my only driving factor at that point in time, because pretty much everything else was pointing me in the direction of, of saying no to doing that. You know, I had a great job lined up. I was living in an awesome city. Um, You know, I would have had to leave that city in order to start swimming again, um, because I wasn't going to be making any money off of swimming. Um, You know, I was super out of shape and was nowhere near the same caliber athlete that I was that time a year ago. So, you know, pretty much everything else was working against me at that point. It was really just my why and just thinking like, man, in five or 10 years, I really think I'm going to regret it if I don't try this. So that was really my only driving force at that point.
0: Interesting. Okay. And then we'll get into what it is now, but I, I like that because I think too many people don't consider or are too afraid to make decisions and then do have those regrets later in life, whether it be about sports or just like decisions in general. And Ashley and I always go by, you know, basically the mantra of like work hard and opportunities will come and you have to take those opportunities when they present themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're
0: both strong in our faith. So we, we pray about it as well. But I think too many people They're either not working hard enough to earn the opportunities or the opportunities are presented and they're too either content with their situation Mm -hmm. to make a change or they're too afraid.
1: Yeah, they're too scared. Absolutely. And I didn't want, I did not at all want that to be a driving factor the other way, you know, driving me away from doing this, you know, and, and it was obviously really scary. And, um, you know, I just, I think I'm really blessed to have figured that out earlier on in my life because now you know, I can, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I can look at a lot of things in 10, 20, 30 years and, you know, not be afraid to, to get out of my bubble and to try new things and to, you know, take a risk, you know, no matter what it's in, because, you know, I, I just, I feel like if I've done this, I feel like there's so many more things that I'm capable of, you know, throughout the rest of my life. So I just feel really lucky that I was able to, you know, make a conscious decision like this so early on in my life and kind of figure that out.
0: Yeah, because you're still 25. You're like a child. (laughs) You have so much life ahead of you.
1: I know. Well, I feel here where I'm at right now, I feel really old. I think I'm like the third oldest person on the – I think there's only two people that are older than me that train here at IU. Um, So because like obviously like 90% of the people on the pool deck are college kids. Right. Um, and then we have pros as well. We have like maybe 12 or 13 pros or so, and only two of them are older than me. So I feel like I walk around where I'm at every day in my environment. And I'm like, God, I'm old. So what? I'm really thankful that you said that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm still young as well, 29. But what's the, uh, before we move on, what's the, what's like the age range for professional swimmers? Like when, when is it getting to the point where people are like, ah, oh, that person's done?
1: Um, I, uh, does it vary? Yeah, it kind of varies. I think, um, you know, as much as I don't want to say this, it's kind of true. Men and women are different. Um, so I feel like 25 for me is like right now, thankfully 25 has been kind of my prime, um, which is amazing. Um, you know, but for men, I think it can get a little bit older towards like 28 or 29. If you've really had a lot of success, um, but you know, like I said, pro swimming, even three and four years ago was not what it is now. Like you really only went pro uh, out of college unless you it, like really only if you already had a couple Olympic medals to your name or even one at all, or It was going into like Olympic in Olympic year, maybe next year or a few months after that. And you had a really, really good chance to make the Olympic team like you were on the national team or something like Mm -hmm. that. Like that was really it. So now, um, you know, with these new opportunities that we have in swimming, these new financial opportunities, it's become a lot, you know, it's become a lot more viable. It's become really a lot more viable. Yes, exactly. So. Um, so yeah, it's been really, it's been really exciting to be able to see the sport grow as a professional sport.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So we got to Pittsburgh, you started training with your coach, which can we say his name or we're keeping it as coach?
1: No, you can say his name. Okay.
0: Well, you just kept saying coach, (laughs) so I didn't know if we could say John or not. Okay. (laughs) So anyway, you got to Pitt, you started working with John again, and then, uh, you know, take us through, you we're obviously swimming at Pitt. you were doing your strength and conditioning there and then Mm -hmm. somehow i had was blessed enough to get an opportunity to work as the strength coach at the swim team so blessed and then uh for some reason john thought you and i'd be a good a good pairing
1: a good pairing yes he did and what a pairing it was absolutely
0: it was legendary oh god so uh so when you got there to John literally cuz you've never told me this story. Did you get there and John said, "Hey, you need to train with the team or hey, there's someone I want you to work with specifically or we're just going to go with this guy and hope for the best and see what happens?"
1: Yeah, good question. So he I don't I don't I can't believe we haven't talked about this really. Never. So I think so he um I think you um went and took a new job. Um, or you had a new job lined up because I think there was some new, um, uh, was it, was it someone, some like a new head strength and conditioning coach was taking over yes and you know, you just didn't have a lot of security in whether or not, um, that, you know, they were going to keep everyone on staff or not. So you went out and found a new job and I had moved to, um, I had moved to Pitt maybe like a month before you were not going to be coaching there anymore. So I worked with you for about a month and, um, you know, all really, John is a man of few words, as we all know, yes. um, you know, he's, once you get to know, him, once you really, you know, peel back the onion layers, you know, you can, it takes a lot get, of peeling. It takes a lot of peeling. It does. So, um, once you peel back the onion layers, you can kind of get them going, but, um, he's kind of a man, of few words and I hadn't seen him in like a year and a half or so. So he, he just came up to me and he was like, I want you to work with Derek still. Make it happen. <laughs> and I was like, but, uh, okay. I can just picture <laughs> so him you know, saying he, that. You know, like how that was going to happen or where that was going to happen. Yeah. But he was just like, I want you to work with Derek still. That's awesome. And that was it. And I was like. Okay, sounds good. And, you know, that being said, I, I really did like, you know, your, um your view of, you know, strength and conditioning for not only my sport specifically, but just where I was at as an athlete. Um, You know, I really liked that as well. So, you know, and I, you're an okay person, so I was like, <laughs> all right, I was like, all right, we'll do this, you know we'll we'll go with it Uh, didn't he didn't really give me that much direction at all, but so that's you know, how you view me
0: an okay person,
1: yeah, you yeah. know we're we're working on it. Keep me but, humble uh, I know I have to so so yeah, so that being said, uh John, you know, just kind of was short and sweet about it, and I made it happen. so yeah, that's pretty much how we got to where we are today,
0: yeah, cool. so let's let's talk a little bit about our, the training that we did together and we'll loop this back to eventually the move to Indiana and and Mm -hmm. USA swimming. But, uh, you know, like you just mentioned, my view on collegiate strength and conditioning was a little bit different from some of the other coaches and just the general methodologies that are out there. Um, and especially it helped that John and I spoke so much, but I had a really good idea of where you were, where your deficiencies were and what was Mm going to improve those. And it certainly wasn't sports specific training, you know, it (laughs) it was, it was very much like GPP and just true training. You know, we were doing, Mm -hmm. You know, we need to get you faster. off the blocks. some,
1: some I mean, tough conditioning and some power work, and yeah, it was yeah, it was brutal. It was definitely things I was not good at. So definitely, I didn't. I definitely did not walk into your gym every day like feeling great about myself. You
0: know, I mean, I was picking apart your hand clean like it was nobody's business. That, <laughs> that shit was ugly.
1: Oh God, it's so much, it's so it's so much better now though. Like it really is, and like just because I had been out of you know. P- really true coaching for a full year, you know, I was really kind of just for a ye- whole year doing whatever kind of workouts I wanted to do, you know, cause that's what the real world is, you know? So, um, so I, I was so grateful for our, for our approach of like, we're starting from ground zero, we're going to, you know, get the crap beaten out of us in conditioning and in weightlifting, you know, we're going to get stronger, but we're going to get stronger correctly first. And then we're going to work our way up, which I so appreciated. And that in, when I was just at my base of getting back in shape and getting back towards, you know, my high level athlete, that is what I genuinely needed. So I was so, that was just the perfect setup for me personally.
0: Well. I appreciate that. And then I think it's important what you just said too, or at least for us to highlight it. I think everyone, at least I had this impression before I worked in D1 athletics was, you know, like these guys are like incredible performers. They're talented athletes They mm-hmm. they have to move well in the gym. Mm-hmm. Like they must. And most of the time that's surprised. the exact
1: opposite. <laughs> yeah. like- Especially with swimmers. Like, a lot of us are not land athletes. So, no. you know, I think I'm okay on land. I'm better than most. And I think thankfully my soccer background, given I was running so much as a kid, like up until I was, you know, 14 or 15, I was better than most, but, um, still definitely not as good as a typical like land athlete, I would say.
0: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, you are leaps and bounds above the team at pit. It's themselves, but, uh, You know, even where you were, as obviously we went through your entire background as a really high level swimmer, we took you all the way back down to, you know, air squats and getting you out of your lifters and Mm -hmm. fixing your feet and all these little minor details that I think people Mm -hmm. would probably overlook at that level because what you're doing is working but mm-hmm. we saw drastic improvements by stripping it down to the foundations and then building it back
1: up. Oh yeah, up. absolutely. And it like it definitely was not easy. I didn't, you know, being such a competitive person, you know, when we were doing air squats and we were doing a lot of, you know, body weight stuff, you know, people, you know, an average person might be like, "Oh my gosh, this is so easy. Like I love going to weights. Like weights is awesome." But I was like, "No, I want to put some I want to put some weight on this. Like I want to move some weight." Like You know, I'm coming all the way over here to not lift any weights. All the way over, 15 minutes. (laughs) Okay, on the way back, though, it was like 30 minutes.
0: I know, the the tunnel's bad.
1: It was brutal. But anyways, I was like, I'm coming over here to, like, you know, put five pounds on the bar. Like, you know, so being super competitive, that's what I wanted at the time. But then we really saw such drastic improvement over what I think is a very short amount of time.
0: Was it, was it even a full year or was it over a year or was it right around a full year? I can't remember.
1: It was like, I mean, when I moved to Pittsburgh, it was like April and I moved there in July, beginning, end of June, beginning of July. So it was a little less than a year, it was yeah, like just, 10 months.
0: Just under a year. Yeah. And we definitely yeah. saw huge improvements. And then, you know, with your conditioning, obviously you're swimming a lot, but we didn't do any kind of standard conditioning that you would see in the collegiate setting. We did like high intensity interval circuits. We did did. couplets and triplets. We did stuff that I think coaches typically would have said, you know, what the hell are you doing with my kids? We need to be doing X, Y, and Z and you're doing, you know, A, B, and C. And so I think, but I think that was huge for you, not only mentally, but physically as well. I think it gave you or filled in some of those holes that we were missing, especially for like the hundred.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. Especially for the hundred. I think that the land training is so useful for getting my speed up. And, you know, that was definitely a huge part of, you know, making me not just like a one trick pony and being able to, and, and, you know, it helped my 200 too. It helped me have some more easy speed, you know, towards the beginning of the race. And, um, it was really easy to see, you know, when I started to improve in these elements in the weight room, these speed and power elements in the weight room. So too came in the pool, which even though they're such different you know, elements, they they couldn't be more different. You know, I I saw an easy transition from one to the other. Yeah.
0: And I was just fortunate to have John who was so lenient basically just said, you know, hey, beat the hell out of her.
1: just I hated him for it. But because I would come in and, you know, to be honest, after you left Pitt from what I saw, you know, I was not really in there, obviously that much because, you know, I was going to your gym. But you know, I would come in the pool and being super competitive, I'd want to beat everyone. And, you know, I'm 10 times more tired than they are because I did a, a circuit that morning that was just soul crushing. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Like, you know, I squatted 75 pounds this morning. It's it's fine. And they're <laughs> kicking my butt. And I'm like, God, like, you know, So, uh, but I'll, it definitely was good for the long run.
0: I'll never forget the day. This is the day I had. My only doubts about you ever, ever being the swimmer that you are now is when we did was it single the, leg, was it the, day? the single oh. leg power-offs. So oh God, for those yeah. people out there that don't, <laughs> don't know what that is, we put Annie on a 20 inch box and she had to drive through one leg and jump off of the box as high as she could. I'm not shitting you. Her foot moved two inches above the box. like. <laughs> Maybe we could have slid a book underneath your foot. Maybe. A thin one.
1: Oh, my God. But then... I'm so tired. But then
0: not even like probably a month before you left. Four
1: weeks later. You did
0: one and you like levitated for a split second and we lost it. It was like the best... I
1: think we called it a day. We're like, that's it. (laughs) Let's just call
0: it. I still have that video. It's amazing. Oh,
1: my God. Oh, my God. That was amazing. Yes, that was... I was terrible. I was like, I have no speed. I have no power. And I would give John such a hard time about it because he would never put me in like the sprint practices, which are far and away easier. I don't care what they say. It's easier. And I would give him a hard time about that. And he's like, well, then just go do stuff with Derek. And we'd send him these videos. And he's like, Oh my god! These <laughs> are. I am so glad I don't have to see that. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I saw that and I thought, no wonder you're slow off the blocks. You can't even get your ass off of this box. Okay, but anyway, yeah. so uh, I eventually. Well, you move first, and then I eventually left as well. But you yeah,
1: pretty shortly afterwards. I feel like.
0: Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, and so once you moved, we stopped working together, but you moved specifically to be in an environment that was going to push you to the level that you needed to be at. And, you know, you believe that to be Indiana. And then obviously now the results you've had recently, it was well worth the move. So talk a little bit about, you know, your time in Indiana now and that environment and why it's been so, um, essential in your, your success in this season.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, Indiana in the last few years specifically has had a lot of success, um, specifically with my events in breaststroke. So the 100 and 200 breaststroke, they've had a lot of success. Um, I train with the world record holder every day in the 100 breaststroke for women, the 50 and 100 breaststroke for women. Um, and and wait, then
0: you're two in 100?
1: I'm third in the 100. Third. okay, And I'm so second in the 200. You so ju- she's first. Do you she's jaw back and 100. forth with
0: her, and you're like, "I'm gonna take that shit from you." Okay.
1: <laughs> she jaws more than I do. I <laughs> I, I, I swim more. Okay. Um,
0: anyway, keep going.
1: But um, but so she's she's first in the. I want to say she's first in the hundred, and she last year I think was fourth or fourth in the two hundred so um so it's a really nice balance she obviously has that just raw speed and power and she can just get off the blocks and go like that um, but of course when we're doing longer stuff is when we sort of meet in the middle a little bit because you know she's got the speed and I have the endurance so it's really nice to race each other every day um especially I think it's especially nice to race each other every day because we kind of have both of our things that we're better at you know so when we're doing stuff that's more raw speed and power you know she's obviously probably going to be a little bit better than I am. So I have something to work towards and something to focus on and something to, you know, race after. And if we have more of an endurance day, you know, it's kind of nice for me to be like, okay, like, this is my day. Like, this is my time to shine. Like, this is my day. And, you know, she's, she's right there too. Cause you know, she's fourth in the world in the 200. So, you know, it's, it's really nice to have our strengths and our weaknesses. We kind of like, you know, bounce each other out really, really well. So that's one of the main reasons why I came here. Um, it's not just her either. Um, they have um, an American record holder on the men's side um, in the 100 breaststroke short course yards and um, also an Olympic gold and bronze medalist in the 100 breaststroke and the men's 400 medley relay, um, a male who is a gold and bronze medalist. So um, just all around, they've seen just tons of success, both on the Olympic level and the collegiate level in my events. So, you know, I kind of thought, um, you know, I talked with John And he and I both agreed that, you know, it was only his second season at Pitt in the time that I was there. He was really still trying to make it his program. Um, He was really trying to turn it around. um, And he was doing a great
0: job. I mean, there was was a lot to turn around.
1: A huge turnaround. Yes, he was doing an excellent job. Um, But that being said, you know, that turnaround wasn't going to take, you know, the time span that I really had to be there. So... You know, especially when um, you know the college kids are going through their championship season in January, February, March. They take their break and they come back in April. I was really swimming by myself a lot, and that was really hard. Um, so he and I both decided that it would be really great for me to just go and try out a place with other pros and just see how that would go. Um, he and my the coach who um, just left IU, um, a few months ago, they were really close and they both had very similar, um, very similar mindsets and similar philosophies when it came to training and be, and being a coach. Um, so we thought that that might be a really good fit, um, with him being a coach and with the other coach, you know, specializing in breaststroke. So I tried it out here Um, just having pros around me doing the same things that I'm doing with the same goals that I have is just game changing. Just being in an environment of people who just want success and, you know, are positive about where they're going and, you know, work really hard. It's game changing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, not,
1: Not that Pitt didn't have that, but again, John was definitely still trying to work, work it into being a program that he wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, so that being said, um, he and I kind of talked it out and I, you allowed for me to come here. Um, so I packed up my stuff and I moved here, um, in April of 2018, which is a little less than two years ago now. And, um, yeah, it's, it definitely, I definitely was still like not totally back to where I was at that point when I moved here. Um, I really am going to be honest. I don't think I was really back to the physical peak shape that I was in before I retired, honestly, until about uh, truly a couple weeks, maybe a month before short course worlds, (laughs) um, before I won worlds in December of 2018. So, um, so that being said, like, that's just a, that's just a crazy turnaround in itself. But, um, Yeah, so so I I, they kind of took a chance on me a little bit, and uh, it's definitely it's definitely paid off so far, and I'm just really grateful that I was given the chance to you know even come here and try it out, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember when you left, I thought, wow, I really hope like this is what she needs because I remember you being pretty down about having to train by yourself all the time and the mental the mental fatigue you're experiencing from that, and then you know following you since then. Uh, just keeping up with you online and whatnot, I thought, holy shit, it's crazy what a change of environment can do and surrounding yourself with the right people. And, you oh know, like gosh, there's that yes. quote out there that you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And it's it's like mm-hmm. if you surround yourself with champions, with all these medalists, then you're going to have to step up your game. And, you know, it it always pays to be at the bottom of that totem pole. Like I always tell everyone, yeah. if you can be the least smart person in your group, that's the best because then the you're going to learn the most. You're like, only
1: going to get smarter. Yeah, yep. you
0: don't want to be the leader.
1: Yeah, no, cuz you're not going to grow. There's no room for growth there. Yeah,
0: exactly. And obviously that led to that change led to a huge year for you and and you're swimming incredibly well now and uh and then when did the uh when did the ISL come into play?
1: The ISL came into play um so the first season was um September or October to December this year. Um I swam in four meets. Um three of them were domestic, one was um international um in Budapest, Hungary. Um and it's really cool to see this kind of come to the forefront and, and start to come into play a little bit. Um and it's been a really huge draw for quite literally the world's best swimmers um it's been really exciting not only financially um, but it also comes from a moral standpoint as well um the biggest draw towards the isl right now for the world's best swimmers is that if you have ever tested positive in a doping um control test or a drug test you are not allowed to compete in the isl
0: so there's no time limit on that it's just if you
1: ever have, yep. it's indefinite. You are never allowed to compete if you've ever tested positive on a drug test. So that is huge. Um, what's the NCAA, much-
0: or it's not the NCAA, but what's USA Swimming's policy?
1: Um, it's not really as much USA Swimming. It's more FINA, okay, uh, the governing body for swimming, the international governing body for swimming. Um, they're the ones who really um, deal out doping suspensions mm-hmm. um, it depends on how serious the drug is it depends on where they were taking it how they were taking it um, you know there's there's a lot of factors that go into that um, but bottom line is even still there's probably still a lot of athletes right now that are doping that haven't been caught right um, and that's in every sport that's in every sport but you know also with FINA and with you know the international governing bodies of swimming. Um, you know, sometimes they like to see some controversy and, and, you know, I'm not really quite sure what it is. Uh, I, I, I feel like I'm educated enough about it, but, but I maybe need to be more educated on it. Um, a lot of people just think if you've doped once you should be done. And that's hasn't really been the case. Um, you know, so it's really nice to have, cause you know, if you've done it once, what's to say, and you've gotten away with it for so long until that point that you got caught, what's to say you're not just going to try it again, Right. you know, yeah. and find a different masking agent or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So that's been a huge selling point to the ISL is, you know, that everyone's there. Everyone that's there is competing clean, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the start of the ISL. Um, for everyone guy, out there,
0: what is ISL for everyone that's listening that isn't a swimmer?
1: Oh, yes, of course. It's the International Swim League.
0: And did that just start? This is the first season?
1: Just started, yes. So I was a part of the inaugural season this fall, which was super exciting. Um, There's eight teams, four European-based, four American-based. They're about to add two more teams next year, one that's based in Toronto, one that's based in Japan, Um, yeah, so it's really growing. It's really exciting. Um, people are really excited about it. Um, it's bringing like, you know, the flash and flair to swimming more. So, um, they're making the events really, really quick. There's only about 30 seconds in between events before they're announcing the next people that are coming out to race. There's lights everywhere. There's, you know, audience interaction. There's, it's just such a different element to swimming. There's no preliminaries in the morning and finals at night. It's just, you race once and that's it. Um, Because, you know, who wants to go to preliminaries in the morning? Like Mm -hmm. not that many people, not even me. So, you know, um, it just makes it a lot more exciting. Um, And it's been broadcasted on ESPN, on Eurosport in Europe, and it's gotten some really, really great feedback. So it really is like the future of swimming, and it's trying to make it the same professional sport that any other sport is, and not just a sport that people watch for one week every four years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've watched – exciting. I watched a couple of the, I guess the highlights or the replays of some of that stuff. Cause I wanted to see your races and I think they definitely do a better job of making it a little more presentable, a little more digestible oh, for, for like sure. a little more exciting. Uh, now, random question, then we'll move on. Is the, the male female like relay team, was that through USA or was that through FINA or USA swimming, whoever it would be, or was that through the ISL first?
1: It was through, um, FINA first, um, which is really cool and really exciting. Um, they have both, um, I don't think they're having a mixed medley relay at the Olympics this summer, but they're definitely having a mixed freestyle relay. Okay. Um, which has been cool but now people have kind of figured it out um especially for the mixed freestyle relay that you should put the men first and then mm-hmm. put the women second because the men you know create a lot more waves so if you have a female swimming right next to a male she's just going to get swallowed by his waves and mm-hmm. not swim as fast so do you think that's a um, problem
0: like with the race itself
1: it's a problem um it's still really exciting to see a race with men and women in it i just think the medley relay the mixed medley relay is way more exciting to watch because there's so much more strategy that goes into that Mm -hmm. um you know if you have a you know again like it's it's semi common to do two men at the front doing backstroke and breaststroke the Mm -hmm. first two legs and then two women at the back doing butterfly and freestyle but the usa Tip sometimes has put in my training partner, Lily King in the second leg and breaststroke, because she's the world record holder yeah. in the hundred breaststroke. So she's obviously not going to beat the guys, but she's going to have a much closer gap to the right. guys than a typical female would. Mm-hmm. So why not? And if she's a stronger swimmer, then maybe, you know, another, you know, another woman is that would be at the end that's, you know, that makes it really exciting. You're yeah. seeing a girl swim against seven guys. Like that's cool. That's, you know, Yeah, that's so, really cool. Yeah. So, so Spina first, um, but they've definitely added the element also into the eyes. Was that
0: this season as well? Was that new this season or was that last year?
1: Um, I think the mixed, the mixed relays came in at worlds in 2017, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, so world championships is a major meet that happens every odd year. Um, So the non Olympic year basically. Um, so I think those came in in 2017. Um, and yeah, I think there's, I don't know if there's going to be a medley relay at the Olympics, but they're now they've introduced the 400 mixed freestyle relay. Cool. All
0: right. Now we're kind of through like your entire history. We went through it all. So let's, I want to finish up with just some questions and to kind of turn this back to the whole mindset piece or, yeah, that we're talking about or that we're trying to highlight here. So
1: yeah, for sure.
0: Earlier we talked about what your motivating force was or what your why was coming back Mm -hmm. from retirement. Now, what is, what's motivating you now? What you said it changed. So what's your why now?
1: Um, you know, I think my why now is, you know, I am really competitive and you know, I, I, even though I, I, have these great world rankings from last year, I still certainly do not see myself as the best. I really don't. Um, because, you know, especially in the environment that I'm in, it's, it's fortunately, and you know, maybe sometimes, unfortunately, but most of the time, fortunately, it's really common to have the successes that I've had. You know, so you know, I come back from you know having a great meet or you know posting a time that you know is does really well in the world, and you know people don't really think that much of it. So it really helps me not get too high and not get too low about you know any kind of swim really. Um, but basically, my why now is you know I'm super competitive and I've always wanted to win. And, you know, I'm just, I'm driven by a challenge, not only from others, but actually maybe even more so from myself. Um, I've, I always want to be better than I've ever been, whether it's in practice or in a meet. Um, You know, of course, when it comes to racing, I'd like to win. um, But all I can do is control what I do. So being able to be my own competition Um, sometimes, you know, I feel like this is the opposite of someone saying you are your own worst critic because, you know, while that's certainly true, um, I try to be my own best competition basically. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so being able to be my own competition has really actually helped my mindset in what I want my goals to be, I guess. So that's kind of been my why recently is, is more is, and, and I think that's my why because, um, you know, coming back to swimming, I, like I said earlier, I could have never dreamed that I would have be in the position that I'm in now. So, you know, I look at myself and where I was, you know, this time last year. And, and I think, okay, like I'm, I'm further ahead, you know, in every aspect of my training than I was this time last year. So like, let's see how good I can be. Like, let's see how good I can get, you know, if I had this great year last year and, you know, I'm finally coming into my own um and figuring out, you know, what I need to be successful in this sport um after taking so much time off, you know, like how much better can I be now that I figured it out? You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So that's kind of been my why recently.
0: Cool. And I love that. You're just basically challenging yourself to be the absolute best you can be in terms of your performance. And I would assume just like your your character and all of your attributes and all of those things. It probably transcends just the pool.
1: Yeah, it really, it really does. Um, you know, it doesn't, it it helps me become, it helps me be really self-motivated, not just in athletics, but in life. Um, which, which I think is something that I'll carry far beyond the pool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so speaking beyond the pool, before we loop it back, it, you know, what are some of your core beliefs and values that have either, been the catalyst to that why of always trying to improve and challenge yourself and be the best possible version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And you know, how have those influenced that?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I think the biggest core value that I have is, um, kind of two that I think go hand in hand a little bit, um, is loyalty and fairness. Um, for sure. I'm a very just person. I like when things are fair And, you know, like I said earlier, like you can be your own worst critic, you know, whatever. But I feel like this can be my biggest strength and my biggest weakness. Um, Obviously, through my competitiveness, when things are not just or fair, I have a really hard time letting it go. (laughs) So I see how I feel in those situations and I try my best to work harder and to be as self-aware as I can be when it comes to doing things correctly and working hard, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think all of those things really go hand in hand with fairness because, you know, I don't like it when things aren't fair. So I try my best to make all aspects of my life, you know, fair and loyal. Um, you know, as far as loyalty goes, you know, I really like to keep my circle a little bit smaller. Um, but the people that I have in my circle, I feel like I'm, I'm really fiercely loyal to, because I feel like I see something in them. Um, and hopefully they see something in me as well. Um, that I, you know, wish not, I don't want to say wish that I had, but I see a a trait in them that I really wish that I could, you know, take from them and embody and learn from them. Absolutely. So um, I feel like that's kind of something um, that I see in someone and I'm like, wow, like I really want to be loyal to them and, you know, do what I can to like grow a relationship with them because I think they have these qualities that are awesome um, and I would really love to embody and just have in my life as well, and learn from. So, I think those are kind of my biggest core value and beliefs. And I think that goes hand in hand with just the people that you surround yourself with yeah, as well.
0: Absolutely, I love those. You don't usually hear uh, fairness, so I think that was that's interesting, and I like it.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh,
0: so now, with all of those things, with your core values and your beliefs and your why, you know, your your goal now, and correct me if I'm wrong, is to make the Olympic team, I would assume.
1: <laughs> uh, it's hard to say that that's not my goal. Yeah. Um, it's it's obviously, you know, that's that's a huge dream and aspiration of, of mine. Um, but, you know, I I think my I'm trying to stay so true to kind of where my mindset was last year when I just had this just explosion of success and I was it was almost like laughable, you know, just cause this doesn't happen to really anyone at this stage in their career in swimming. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really just trying to keep the, keep the goal of being, let's see how good I can get, how good can I be, you know, not really putting a limit on, um, a limit on myself or a limit on any kind of success I can possibly reach. Um, you know, so I, I try and keep that the ultimate goal. I, I, I don't, I don't want to say like, I need to, you know, make the Olympic team and then I need to win a medal at the Olympics. I need to go this time. Like it's hard not to, not to think about those things because I am so competitive and, and those are lifelong aspirations. But I think just my mindset last year was ultimately my greatest strength. And I want to, I want to try and keep the goals the same.
0: Got it. And now with that being said, and i i like where you're going with this i was going to ask you next how you define success and what it's sounding like is you define success as truly dedicating yourself to being the best version or best performer For you, like challenging yourself to be the best possible version of yourself.
1: Absolutely. That is 150% my definition of success. It is, you know, making sure that you are doing the work every day, physically, mentally, and emotionally to be the best person, the best version of yourself that you feel like you can be. Um, That you feel like you can be to other people, to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, whomever it might be. Um, you know, and the best person you can be, you know, athletically like pushing yourself to that limit, you know, um, just, you know, not setting a limit on yourself or what you can accomplish and knowing that you have done the work every single day that will set you in sight of those goals, I think is my true definition of success.
0: I love that. And, you know, Ashley and I talk about this with each other. And then also with our clients is by, by falling in love with the process And actually just enjoying the challenge that training brings you, whether you're training for a sport or just training in general Mm -hmm. and treating that as your, your success, leaving every day, knowing you gave your all, then there's Mm -hmm. no, that, that letdown of not achieving a specific performance goal isn't as devastating. It's because that's not the, that's not the goal. That's not the pinnacle. It's not the end if you didn't achieve it.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I agree 110%. It's all about, um, you know, what the con- controlling the controllables, yeah. you know, that's ultimately the goal because obviously in competition, you know, you're competing against other people and you don't know how they've trained. You don't know how they've raced. You don't know how they've practiced. You don't know how they've, you know how they've lifted, you know, and you're never going to know. Yeah. You're never going to know. So what is the point in harboring over, you know, what some, what a time that someone else has gone at some point in their life? when that's might not be what they go today, or you might go faster than that. You know, who knows you're never going to know. So there's no point in defining your success based on a place or a time or a ranking or anything like that. Because I think that to me, unless you look at your end goal and you say, maybe I could have worked a little bit harder. Maybe I could have placed a little bit higher. Um, you know, I, I don't think that you can define success that way because that include so many other things that you can't control.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Now, uh, speaking of success and and s- pursuing it, what are three things that you do on a daily basis or three things that you believe are, that are essential to pursuing success?
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I feel like we've, we've really like covered so many of them right now. Um, but, you know, I think, the thing for me is all of the things that are are essential in a pursuit to success. None of them are, they're things that are not taught and they're things that are not talent based. Um, You know, obviously, you know, watching, you know, watching, you know, LeBron James, in the NBA, obviously he had a talent for the sport to begin with, but he's not working solely off of his talent you know, he has worked so hard to get there and that's why he's one of the best in the world now. So I think, you know, going forward, like the things that, you know, are essential in the pursuit of success are not setting a limit on yourself or what you can accomplish. Um, you know, like, like we've talked about, um, you know, just, just striving to just, you know, not reach certain benchmarks and, and those might be great for some people. Um, but for me, it's just knowing that I'm better today than I was last week or last month. Um, knowing that I've done the work to be better today than I have been in the past. Um, and and that goes into my that goes into my next my next thing that's essential in the pursuit of success is doing the work every day that will set you inside of those goals. Um, you know, if you're if you're focusing on any kind of athletics type of goals um, or wellness type of goals, that means you know getting seven to nine hours of sleep every night. That means staying fully hydrated every day. That means eating the right foods and maybe you know maybe skipping on the beer after work, you know, like little things, little things like that, that might be tough for about five minutes. Um, but then in the end you can say that you truly did everything that you could that day to set you inside of the goals that you want to reach. Yeah. And, um, again, going towards, um, going back to what we were talking about when I made my move here to IU, um, I think the last and really the most important thing that, um, is best for, you know, physical, emotional, mental success is just surrounding yourself in an environment of positivity and people who will just really aid you in reaching your goals. Um, you know, like we talked about, like if you're in a group of five friends and you're the smartest person there, there's no room for growth there. Um, so I just think surrounding yourself in an environment of positivity, an environment where you can learn from other people, an environment where, you know, you're going to grow as a person, that's going to aid you in reaching the kind of success that you want to reach. And, you know, just finding, finding attributes from other people that really make you, you know, want to embody those, those attributes as well. really helps me personally um, find more success in my life and find more balance in my life. Um, So those are really the three main things that I feel like um, I personally strive to do every day in order to reach the ultimate goals that I want to reach.
0: Hell yeah, I love that. I love the positivity one. Ashley and I have been focusing a lot more on that. And like negativity is just like cancer. It just spreads and it's, it's so odd. contagious. And
1: it's so not contagious. that cancer is contagious, but. And it's so much easier to be negative than it is to be positive. Oh, yeah. It's so much easier.
0: And I like, have a terrible oh habit of that. Like I can fall I into it too. so easy.
1: I can, I really can. And it's so easy in the sport of swimming where it's like, especially like, right now in this like dead of winter when um, I'm training with a college program and there's so many kids who are getting ready for their big championship meets. They're getting ready for here at IU for the big 10 championships. And in a few weeks, NCAA championships and the pros still have quite a few months before they can start resting and have, being full of energy. And, you know, it's the dead of winter here and training still super hard for us. It's really hard to see, upside a lot, you know, in, in those, in those, Uh, you know, environment. So it's been really, really great to have even just other pros with me who know what I'm going through and people who are just naturally more positive people Mm -hmm. than I am. It really helps me check myself and be like, gosh, like if they're not being negative right now, they're doing the same thing as me. Like, why am I feeling like I have to be this negative? And it's just because it's easier to be negative than it is to be positive. And that's why being positive is better than being negative because it's, it's it's uncommon it's not as common as being negative
0: yeah hell yeah i mean ashley pushes me every day because she's you know her she's way she's more just
1: a ray of sunshine yeah like, yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: exactly i look at her and i'm like god if i had literally one eighth of the empathy and compassion that you had i would be a significantly better human <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so oh, let's god. continue on here um so those are uh, those are the things that we think you need ha- be successful and to achieve success or even pursue it. And now Mm -hmm. let's talk about your like daily routine. What are, what are some things that you do on a daily basis to keep you in check and to, to keep you focusing on giving it your all and, and pursuing the, the best possible you?
1: Um, so I think for me, um, I, I'm a very, um, Like I I try to be kind of black and white with things. Um, So I really do have a checklist of things that I think about, like when my day starts, it's like, okay, like throughout the day, I have like checklists that I try and that I try and hit at that certain point every day. Um, I wake up in the morning and I go to practice and I, in during my morning practices, they're kind of more of like my aerobic, um, just conditioning practices, which for me, are a lot tougher for me personally. I'm not great in those aspects of training, um, so I really just try and um, one be positive throughout those because they're my weakest aspects of my training, and two just know that when I got out of the pool, like I did that work, and I didn't necess- This is not necessarily the work that I quote unquote have to do. So um, just getting in and doing that work in the morning just makes me feel like I've already started my day off on the right foot. Um, I come home and my mom and I have this book that we read together every morning, well, um, which is super cute. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just like a little like inspirational quote every day. It's from, um, uh, one of our favorite people to watch, like on the Today Show every morning. Um, it's like uh, it's Hoda Kotb's book and we love it together and we read it. And it just it it really makes me feel like emotionally in check. You're like rolling your eyes at me right I'm, now. I'm
0: holding in my laughter.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is such so a such a girl thing. It's awesome.
1: But but it's like it's my mom, you know, and, and so it's really nice to like have that, even though my family's far away, um, it's really nice to have kind of that like emotional check every morning. Um, even in like, you know, the dead of winter and, you know, it's in times where it's really hard to like see a positive outlook. It's really nice to kind of have that check in with her. Um, so that's another thing that I do every day. And again, just like making sure that at the, I think I set myself up at the beginning of the week for the rest of my week, just really making sure I have everything that I have in the house in order to stay, you know, as fueled for the peak performance as possible in order to stay as hydrated as I possibly can. I really struggle to drink water. It is like one of my biggest weaknesses as an athlete. So I really try and like like bring in some like, coconut water and like stuff like that. Like I'm really trying to do things. I know. No, I can't do Mio anymore. I'll tell you later, but, um, (laughs) but, but yeah, so it's, that's, you know, I'm really, I really try and set up nutritionally for the rest of the week. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy for me to go to bed at, you know, 9 45, 10 o'clock instead of 9 o'clock, 9 15. But I wake up at 5 a.m. for some practice. So, you know, the difference between seven hours for me personally, throughout my years of competing, I've learned that the difference between seven hours and eight hours of sleep for me is huge. So, you know, really trying to do everything I can after practice at night to get myself ready for bed, um, you know, and to be able to get a full eight hours is just sleep and be ready to get up in the morning and compete. Um, those are kind of my daily things that I do more specifically, just black and white things that I know it's like, okay, did I do it or did I not do it? There's no in between, um, that really helps me, um, keep me focused on a hour kind of hourly basis and kind of keep me in check, um, as I lead up to, uh, what I hope is the Olympics this summer. So yeah, it it might not work for other people, but for me, it does. It's just, it's nice to have a very, very yes or no aspect of things for me, um, to be able to see, you know, like if it affected my performance at all that day. And so, uh, so yeah, those are kind of the things that I, that I do to keep myself in check.
0: All right. So the last question that I have is what is something that you're currently not doing, but would like to explore as it relates to either mindset or training or performance, something that you may be interested in to help with those things, but haven't got into it yet.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I really think I probably will get into um, in the next few months, especially leading up to um, Olympic trials and the Olympics is probably going to see a sports psychologist. Um, You know, I have seen one before prior um, when I was at Auburn. I had one accessible to me. And now USA Swimming swimming is willing to provide um, financial funds to see a sports psychologist. So um, I think that's great. I think that's a huge step in in athletics in general, especially in the sport of swimming. Um, I think mental health has been a huge issue in the sport of swimming. Um, I don't know why it's been so prevalent in this sport specifically, Um, probably because we stare at a black line for four hours a day trying to drop Hundreds of hundredths of a second, you know, so that might be a contributing factor. But, um, you know, I think I'm going to start doing that just because um, not necessarily the Olympics, but more the Olympic trials is the most stressful meet in the world because you haven't made the Olympics yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because you know, which is great. It's great for the sport. They try and make it this huge production. I mean, there's, there's fire flaming on the side of the pool and there's like a waterfall when you get announced to the Olympic team and there's lights everywhere and there's music blaring, um, which is great, but it makes it so much more intimidating and it's in a arena that has packed to the brim, like 30,000 people. Um, so, you know, I, I, just, I've been to it twice before and I just, I want to be ready for it. And, um, not only that, but I want to be ready for anything that could possibly come my way leading into the Olympic trials and the Olympics. Um, I want to be ready for, you know, I have my second best event, the hundred breaststroke on days two and three of the meet. And then I have the 200 breaststroke, which is my better event on days five and six. So, you know, obviously plan a is to, I have a I have just as much of a, a solid shot in the 100 as I really do in the 200, to be honest, because even though I'm not the best in the 100, the field is much deeper in the 200 than it is in the 100. So um, obviously plan A would be to just knock it out of the park, get second place in the 100 breast and make the Olympic team that have no pressure for my best event. Right. You know? That would be plan A but I want to be ready for anything that comes with that. What if I make the Olympic team and I get two hours of sleep that night because I just accomplished my lifelong dream of becoming an Olympian. Mm -hmm. You know, what if I don't make it and I start have a terrible swim and I start freaking out and you know, then all this pressure is on for the 200, you know what? I, I just, I want to be ready for any situation possible. You know, what if some little junior national junior team or some 16 year old is having the meat of her life and all of a sudden drops seven seconds in the two in her breast. And now all of a sudden she's ready to take my spot on the Olympic team. Like I want to be ready for like any possible thing. And I just feel like, you know, voicing those concerns and you know, just talking through any possible scenario with a sports psychologist and someone who knows how the brain works um, will be so pivotal to my success. So I think um, in the few months leading up to the Olympics, I'm going to start doing that.
0: That's awesome. I, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a huge component. I think people who aren't even in the realm of, you know, sports that aren't even, not even, any kind of sport but especially yeah. at the elite level i think everybody can benefit from speaking to a psychologist or
1: a therapist whatever you
0: want to say like everybody needs a coach everybody needs an outlet and like you said to be able to it's voice, an outlet absolutely yeah, to be able to voice your concerns and, and your emotions and your feelings and have an unbiased objective exactly. third party like i think that's huge so i think that's awesome i think it's super cool that usa swimming is going to help you guys with that and uh, yeah. I mean, I can't wait to wait to see what happens. What are Olympic trials?
1: Um, I swim the hundred breast on June 22nd and 23rd and I swim the 200 breast on June 25th and 26th. It's
0: going to be here before you know it.
1: I, it's already flying up. I can't believe like February is almost over right now. And like March is coming, you know, I'm just, I'm excited. I want it to be here right now. Um, But I know when it gets closer and closer, I'm going to be like, okay, wait, hold on. Like, (laughs) you know, I, so, but it's, it is, it is super exciting. Um, I I can't wait. And uh, I just, I really hope that, you know, I can go into that just knowing I've done everything I can do to just be the best that I can be at that point. So really, really excited and only good things are going to come from it, you know?
0: Hell yeah. Well, Annie, thanks so much for taking the time to be on. It was awesome. Um, so glad we got to catch up a little bit and hear some stories from you that I didn't know. And, uh, well, if anybody wants to hit you up, has questions, just wants to fangirl you, like where can they follow you at?
1: Yeah, they can follow me um, on. I'm not super active on my Twitter, um, but I'm on Twitter. Um, it's uh, my Twitter handle is LaserLaze, L A Z O R L A Z E, and then um, my Instagram handle is just Annie AnnieLazer, A N N I E L A Z O R. Oh, you So lucky that's my got Instagram handle. I know, I know. Well, Laser's not a super common last name. It's a cool last name, and it's not super common. So awesome. kind of lucked out on that one.
0: Cool. Well, we'll send people that way. Again, thank you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Derek.